If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. What's up, y'all? It's your boy David with Blackwell Renaissance, and I'm here today to tell you guys about Anchor. If you haven't heard of Anchor, it's the best place to make a podcast. Anchor is a free app that has creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast straight from your phone. Anchor also distributes your podcast across all major platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. You can also make money on your podcast with Anchor with no minimum listenership. Anchor is everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So if you're looking to get started on your own podcast, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm. Do you know the rules of the game? Yeah. You know the rules of the game? I don't care what color. Can you make me a hundred million? Let's talk money. Can you make me that? If you can't make me that, I don't want to talk to you. You shouldn't even get this tape. Hey. I got money on my mind. I'm just trying to get some dough. I ain't picking up my line unless it's money on the phone. Gotta get it on the daily, all I want is dubs, you know what I'm on. I've been chasing after paper, all I know is broad money marathon. Do five years of this and be a millionaire and go on and do what I want to do, have kids, go live my chip and joy in a game life out here in Texas or struggle for next week. The choice is yours. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Black Wealth Renaissance Podcast. Our goal of this podcast is to normalize black wealth and share helpful resources and tips we believe will be useful in attaining and maintaining generational wealth. Please feel free to rate and comment on our podcast. We would love to hear all feedback you have. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Black Wolf Renaissance Podcast. Your boy, David Bella, one-fourth of the Black Wolf Renaissance, checking in with my co-host, Jalen. How you feeling, bro? What up, what up, what up? It's your boy, Jalen, another quarter of the Black Wolf Renaissance. I'm feeling good, feeling great, man. Can't complain. I'm blessed. Yeah, man. It's another lovely Saturday. We got another great podcast planned. Our brothers Jared and Kelly couldn't make it here for y'all today, but man, was we ain't here to disappoint nobody. Yeah. As always, y'all make sure before y'all we get into the episode, I need y'all to make sure to like, subscribe, rate, review. If you're a fan of the podcast, if you're a first time listener, just make sure you leave some feedback. Let us know how you're feeling. It helps us grow the show. Help share with your friends. You know, we're trying to spread this message of black wealth. Yeah. So y'all definitely, definitely tap in and show us some love. We appreciate it. I also want to let y'all know about our credit course, Credit Fundamentals, Mm -hmm. dropping this week, upcoming week. Get on the list for the pre-order. You can click the link in the show notes. This course will be going over the elements of credit and basically how your credit works. This is not a credit repair course. This is a credit knowledge course. So we're teaching you pretty much how your score is Mm -hmm. affected how everything works so you don't have to spend five, $600 to get your credit repaired. If you know how to work it, you can take advantage and use the system to your advantage. So y'all definitely, definitely tap in and get that. For sure, for sure. And without further ado, y'all, y'all make sure y'all tap in, but we got to introduce our guest. We got another, like I said, a great lady on this episode. She is a entrepreneur, real yeah. estate mogul. She owns her own beauty business. She got her own medical consulting firm. She, I mean, she on TV, guys. She doing, <laughs> <laughs> she doing it big, man. Give us some class, man. From Married to Medicine, uh, Ms. Leah Diaz. Leah, how you doing? 
I'm doing good. That introduction got me gassed up on a Saturday. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's how we like to come. We like to come with the energy. And we just want to say thank you for coming on to our show. Thank you for coming to drop some knowledge. We can't wait to get into it. And uh, basically, that's what we're going to do. We're going to just jump right on into it. So for our audience who is not familiar with you, can you just let them know, like, who are you? What do you do and what's your background? Got it. So my name is Leah Dias. I am from Inglewood, California. I own the Girl Cave LA, which is a chain of beauty supply stores. We have, well, now we're getting ready to open up our sixth location with locations in Southern California and in Texas. So I do that. I also own a franchise juice bar. I have a property management company and I have three kids and I'm also a wife. So I juggle a lot. And I'm just, I like to think of myself as just someone who's a creative who got into business and that's what I do. Dang. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. That is a lot. It's a lot going on. And I just kind of want to know, like, so what was your first venture? So really my background is in social work. That's mm-hmm. what I got my degree in. And so really what I like to do is I like to fix things. I like to solve problems. And so my first step into business was when I got married, my husband had a juice bar that wasn't doing well. So I used to take my weekends and kind of like play with the numbers and figure out what was going wrong. And when I finally realized that I had a knack for it, then I went into the beauty business. And that's when I started the Girl K Ballet. Yeah. So I got a question, like growing up, had you ever been exposed to like entrepreneurship, any type of business or anything like that for you to be able to just pick up that knack so quickly? Right. So my grandfather was, um, I mean, he was just a renaissance man, to be honest with you. He was one of the first builders here in Los Angeles. He got so many projects done, buildings that are still standing here in Los Angeles. That's who he was. So he was a developer. So I got to see somebody solve problems every day. And then my mom, who was his daughter, was the same way. She was a wife and a mother, and she had a full-time job as a nurse. But she also had a side hustle where she went around to YMCAs and swimming pools, and she started certified people to become lifeguards and CPR certified. So I always saw my mom and my grandfather just like not being okay with just having one piece of the pie and always Mm -hmm. wanted more. So I think that's where that comes from for me. So yeah, it was, uh, I grew up in a very, um, I don't even know how to describe it. I just grew up in a household where like you just couldn't be happy with just one thing. Like we Mm -hmm. were always being pushed. And not in a way that was like overwhelming, but just in a way that challenged me as a person. So it was good. Yeah. I had a good childhood. And I think that's really important, especially like for coming up, because a lot of times in today's climate, you'll see like kids, they'll be like, oh, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. Like, and a lot of times I call it lazy. I'm going to just mm-hmm. call it like I see it. I see a lot of kids either being lazy or they, they cry a lot. They complain a lot. And I just think like, like you said, being pushed whenever you're, coming up, it kind of makes you a little bit more well-rounded, but it also allows you to face your fears a whole lot easier too, because you're able to be exposed to more things. Right. Yeah. I think it, part of it is a, a lack of effort, like being lazy, but I realized that a lot of it too, is just people not feeling inspired. They don't think they can do it. So they talk mm-hmm. themselves out of it. You know what I mean? Especially young people that I've worked with all of my stores, I hire young black women. And just to know that people put limits on themselves at such a young age, I'm like, no, you could you could do anything you want, honestly. So, yeah, I agree. <laughs> I like that. Man, so I really want to hop into it now with the girl cave. So, Leah, after you got, like, the juice bar together, like, how was the process of getting the girl cave together? Like, did you just, like, be like, okay, I want a beauty supply store? Like, what made you choose that industry? Well, okay, so we were talking earlier, like, you guys are from Louisiana. When you go to 
beauty supply stores or you go into a lot of businesses in black neighborhoods, you don't see black people that own them. Right. Not so for me, up, right. So for me growing up in Inglewood, I would go, you know, get my hair, my braiding hair for the weekend. And I never saw black people working in the beauty supplies. And I used to always question that. And so when I decided I wanted to take the leap into beauty, I said, well, why is there a beauty supply on every corner? Everybody got to be making money because they would be there for years. Mm-hmm. Like, there were stores that would, you know, they were there when I was a kid. So I said, if they can do it and they could be sustainable in my community, I can do it too. So I opened up my first store literally minutes away from where I grew up in Inglewood. So mm. that's it. It was just a desire to kind of do something that I grew up around and didn't see anybody like me doing it. Okay. And can we kind of get a little bit deeper into that now? Because I've never really known anybody that looks like us to own the beauty supply store either. Like you yeah. said, it's mostly like Asians that come into the hood. They have the, uh, they set up shop. They got the one on the South side, the one on the East side, like they get their families to run in and everything. So like whenever you were in the process of that, what did that look like learning about that industry? Because you can't just jump into it head first. Like what did you have to actually learn in order for you to be successful in that industry? Yeah. So I really, it was a lot of like, like they say, guerrilla marketing. It was a lot of mm-hmm. guerrilla research. I would go into beauty supply stores as if I was a consumer and look. Like, look at the packaging, look at their systems, spend a lot of time in there. So that was part of it. And then the other part, too, is there's a lot of information available online. And I think as Black people, we hear that, oh, Black people are locked out of this industry, Mm -hmm. so we don't do the research. And so I just started digging up. It was a year's process of doing research. But I started going to these distributors and finding out what they needed from people to set up accounts. And... Yeah, I made a lot of mistakes, though, I'll be honest with you in the beginning, but it was really just trial and error. That's what it was. It was no mentor. It was no like self-help book or anything like that. It was going into these stores and figuring out how can you start a business and be in one retail space for years, 20, 30 years, right? And still be sustainable. So just figuring out how they moved and how they worked. And I got kicked out of a few beauty supply stores. (laughs) I love it. I love that so much because like you saying with that guerrilla research, we had another young lady come on this podcast, uh, Trishana. She has a roll ice cream shop and she did that same thing. And I feel like we really do underlook like how much you can learn as a business owner from looking at other people's businesses. Like you can go in and just start because as a consumer, like I know you said you went in with your consumer hat on, but like in the end of the day, you had just learned all these business skills with that juice bar. So like you could really break down that business like a different way. So I guess I'm just saying all that to say like, I need people to understand that that's one of the biggest things. Like, cause you're saying so many of us don't want to like try things cause we don't think we can. But if we just actually like take those steps and take the actions, then you can start seeing some progress. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. At participating McDonald's. Yeah, I agree. And I just think that you have to, information just doesn't fall in your lap. You got to be creative on how you find it. And so for me, I was like, well, if I want to learn about a beauty supply, I need to go to beauty supplies. I need to see you know, when are they receiving stock? How are they receiving stock? Is the owner carrying it in? Are they getting it delivered? And if they are getting it delivered, what truck is that that's delivering it? Is it UPS? Is it an outside vendor? So these are all things that I did for like a year, literally going into different beauty supply stores and seeing their processes and how it worked. 
and just being creative. And whenever you were also in that process and you started speaking to these distributors trying to get products, was there like something that you saw across the board, something they were looking for? Was there like a minimum that you had to pay in order to get this into your store? How did that look? Yes. So I think what I learned is, and I'm not discounting anybody that has been racially profiled getting into this business, but my experience is that they, when I say they, I mean the Asian distributors, the Asian hair owners, uh, product line owners, they don't not work with black people because they don't like black people. They're not trusting of anybody else outside of their group. So once you show them that you're trustworthy then like I have great relationships with my distributors now because I pay them on time, right? So a lot of them just have product minimums and they want you to spend maybe a couple thousand dollars at a time to establish your account. So that's when we talk about getting your foot in the door. Why I switched over to a franchise model is because sometimes these product minimums can be a lot for a new business. If you have 10 vendors and they're all requiring a three or $4,000 minimum to open, that overhead in the beginning is a lot. And what Asian hair suppliers do for their own is they give them terms. So they give them 30 days, 45 days to pay it Mm -hmm. back. So they're not coming up with this capital all at front. So for me doing the franchise model, I'm extending those same terms that I have to new franchisees. Mm -hmm. So yes, they do require credit worthiness. They do want to see cash up front because they want to make sure that you are going to pay once you take the product out of their warehouse. And then after that, it's just establishing a good, like with anything, you know, when you get a credit card. You know, first they start your limit off with three or $400. And then as you pay on time, you look up and then you have a $5,000 minimum. That's the same thing in this business. Same thing. Okay. I got you. Basically like a 30 day, like a building out like business credit, basically like 30 days. Yeah. And if you don't know the distributors, if they don't know you, they're not willing to give you that. So they're requiring you to pay cash up front. And so that's the barrier of getting into the business is the capital. Hmm. But that's what they require. I always wonder about that because I was going, I wanted to ask more about like sourcing quality products because I know that's a a common thing you hear like from black people, like, oh, they don't want to sell to us. They don't want to sell to us. So like, where are you finding like quality products for your stores? Or like, how do you source those? You know, I just, I asked for samples. There's so many hair companies here. And when they realize that you are a potential customer, because that's what retailers are, we're customers to the distributors. I asked them, listen, if you want me to buy $2,000 worth of hair from you to open up an account, give me a couple wigs. Let me try them. Let me see if they're if they're good enough. And if they are, then that's how we do the process. So really with sourcing, I make the distributors do the work. I ask them to give me the product and they come to us as a retailer. Getting into the business, it wasn't that easy, right? Because now they come to us because we have established storefronts. Mm-hmm, yeah, um, but in the beginning, going to them and finding out, you know, can we have a sample? Can we buy a small quantity to start to see if it's something that our customers are going to like? So it's a lot of footwork and a lot of like capital in the beginning, just finding the right products that you need to carry in your store. Okay. And I like that. And with the right products, how do you go about figuring out the demographics in like the certain neighborhoods? Because one neighborhood might prefer this product Mm -hmm. over that product. So Did you do any type of surveys or anything to kind of really figure out, okay, this will probably make me more successful in this area? Yeah, well, to be honest with you, the great thing is, is that I am the customer because I'm a black woman. So I know what we use and I have two black sisters and I have a black teenage daughter. So whatever I'm using, whatever my sisters are using, whatever my daughter is using, whatever her friends are using. That's really what it is because we are the consumer. Mm -hmm. So we're lucky in that way that we don't have to do a lot of market research. It's just like, I know from my stylist, 
I know from what my daughter tells me, I know from what I'm using. And then our customers talk to us a lot, right? So sometimes we'll have a grader come in and they'll be like, have you heard of this new edge control? And we're like, no. And our customers tell us, so we're not going out, spending money to do market research. We, we don't have to do it because we got the magic already because we're the black girls. <laughs> <laughs> I love the it. Message. I like that. <laughs> I got the magic already. Man. So uh, let's see. Okay. So I do want to talk more about the girl cave because it was mm-hmm. one thing that I noticed you, uh, you spoke on with your brand. That's something a little bit different with the beauty industry. You spoke on realistic beauty. Like that's one thing that you really want to convey with your brand. Could you speak a little bit more about that? Like how, first, what is realistic beauty and how does your brand help convey it? Right. So that saying that I say is because when I was younger, I modeled. And a lot of times I would go out on a job and they would be like, you know, it's LA, like too tall, too short, too this, too that. And then mm-hmm. as a young woman, I would let that penetrate who I was. Mm-hmm. I started to think that I had to change myself every time somebody didn't like something about me. And so what I realized, not while I was in that process, but as I got older, like there is no standard. Like the mm-hmm. standard is this is who I am. I can't change that. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's just being the best version of yourself. And that's what's realistic. It's not realistic for me to think I'm going to look like Beyonce, right? Like that's mm-hmm. not realistic. Um, but I can be the best version of myself. So I try to tell my customers when they come in and they show me a picture of somebody on Instagram and they're like, I want this hair and I want this look. Well, is that really what you want? Or is that what you think you want? Like, how do you, what do you like? What do you like to rock? And what is realistic to you? And what can you maintain? Um, Because a lot of the stuff that we do, it's not just like a one-time thing where you just go in and you buy a wig. This is like hundreds of dollars of maintenance. So what is realistic to you and your lifestyle? So that's what we try to preach at the Girl Cave LA. And you see right now, like it's Saturday, like I'm in my natural element. I have my natural hair on. And then you might see me later this week and I might have a long wig. And that's how I feel. And that's what you should be. You should do what is true to you and what feels good to you and not what you see in a magazine or on Instagram. That's why. I like that. I got to hit it one more time. Come on, give it to me. Um, And I kind of wanted to just go a little bit deeper with the Girl Cave too, because I also heard you mention, you know, you've you've started the franchise model. So what did that process look like whenever you say, okay, I want to expand, but I want to do it through franchising. How did that look like in the knowledge you had to go through? Yeah, I think for me, it was just acknowledging my capacity as a person. The retail stores were doing really good and I kept opening stores, but then I was stretched too thin at home and my other businesses. And I said, well, how can I grow this brand without me having to be present at every retail Mm -hmm. space? And so the franchise model, came to mind. And what it also does too, is it's not just about expanding the brand, which is great. I love it, obviously, but it's about giving other women, other families an opportunity to enjoy or understand the success that we have had here in Los Angeles. So that's what is exciting for me. And it's all women of color. It's all families. It's like, it's, it's like a sisterhood that we're creating with the franchisees and We just bounce ideas off of each other. We're constantly texting, emailing. And what works in Dallas might not work in LA, but something that does work in Dallas might work in LA. And we're taking ideas from each other and it's more collaborative. And to be honest with you, since we became a franchise earlier this year, all of the stores have done better. And I attribute that to me not just being the only leader. Mm -hmm. There's other leaders because there's different owner operators. So I'm doing something that's not, you know, great. I have four or five, six other women looking at it and saying, well, let's try it this way. And we're adjusting as a company. So it's really, it's really, really, really exciting. It's good. 
I love, mm-hmm. I love that yeah, example. I love it too. First off, it's black woman owned. So like it's black woman owned franchise. We don't hear about that very often. And it's right. a beauty franchise. And it speaks to a lot of things we like to talk about with this podcast. Like one of the biggest things we love talking about is building a team and like how trying to do everything yourself always limits you in business. And it's just beautiful to hear that example in it. Cause it's like, you know, a lot of people have apprehensions, especially like as a new entrepreneur, like with a business that you built from the ground up yourself, you look at it like, oh, this is my baby. Like I can't let nobody touch it. But right. whenever you finally let go of that control, you starting to see everything flourish more. And like now, not only is it not all on you, I'm pretty sure it's a little bit less stressful too. Absolutely. Now that now that it's like, it's not all on your brain to put out what you need for Girl Cave. And mm-hmm. I kind of want to piggyback off of that too, because whenever you franchise, it's not even like you really just gave up control because along with that franchise and you giving them the structure and the rules and the criteria mm-hmm. to follow. So it's really like, okay, this is just what you have to do. Just don't fuck it up. Like that's all you got to not do. It's literally cookie cutter. It's a manual, a big book that you get step A through Z. So it is right. So it is. I mean, had I had the opportunity to buy into a franchise when I started this business five years ago, I would have absolutely done it because you pay for your mistakes. And this is like business. So either you pay to get the information or you pay to bang your head against the wall. So either way, you're going to pay. So if it were me, I would rather pay into a franchise somebody like me that's already banged their head against the wall and figured out what works and what doesn't mm-hmm. and then just throw it from there. And the good thing is, is that since we're a new franchise, we're more flexible with how we govern inside mm-hmm. of the store. We let the owners have a little bit more creativity and a little bit more input than a typical franchise. You know, you go into McDonald's, it, you do what McDonald's says. Yeah. You don't get to have too much flexibility. But the girl came, you know, we want to be collaborative because we are a growing company. We're mm-hmm. five years in, so we're still considered, you know, small and new. But it's great to have different women from different walks of life have input and see the company grow the way it's growing right now. I love that. And I kind of want to ask, like, yeah. what does that look like going through the process to, to get ready to, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, not even to open the store yet, like just to franchise your business model. If you have something that's successful in your city and you want to say, okay, I feel like I want to expand. Where do I do I go talk to a franchising lawyer or like what's the process of me actually wanting to get that ball rolling? So for me, it was going directly to a lawyer because I already had the business structure kind of in my mind because I was a franchisee. The juice bar I own is part of a franchise. So I understood the structure. So for me, it was going straight to an attorney and putting those ideas on paper with her and having her create a manual and something that was a legal process. If someone else was looking to start a franchise, I would say the first thing to do would to be get a business consultant that's done it before, because having a franchise is a little bit more complicated than just having a regular DBA or LLC or something like that. It's a lot of principles and guidelines that go into place to make sure that, you know, that you stay profitable, that you stay legal, all of those things. So definitely a business consultant. And after that, an attorney. Hey, I love it. So, so, yeah, yeah. Now, now, uh, with my question, I would kind of wanted to know, like, because I know you mentioned like opening the store yourself. Somebody might be interested in that. Like, could you kind of talk us through the process of opening like their own girl cave? Yeah, like, yeah. what if I want to? I heard this. Now I want one. Like what I got to okay. do. Come on. We accept the applications every day. I'll send you one. <laughs> every day. <laughs> yeah. So really what it is, is there are some financial requirements. We want to make sure that somebody's not like getting in over their heads. But to be honest with you, the real thing is to make sure the person is a good fit. 
because we mm -hmm. are building a community. So somebody that is flexible, somebody that understands that this is a black woman owned, black men owned, family owned business, and kind of uphold that on their social media, the way they interact with their customers in the store. So I can honestly, I can tell within 15 minutes of interacting with somebody, if they're going to understand what we've created here in Los Angeles. So yeah, there's a financial, there's between an eight to $10,000 buy-in, but that gets you basically your setup as far as all of your legal documents getting together and us helping you find a location and all of your vendor accounts established, everything that it takes to open the door. And then you just get your product in based upon what you want to carry and based upon what we have selected for our franchises to carry. And I mean, honestly, it's something that you could probably do with $40,000. So a small business loan, a small savings, you could do it. But the return is tremendous in the beauty industry. So most of our franchisees, even one that we opened in Compton, she had a goal to do six figures in six months. She did it in three months. Mm. in sales. So it's really, it's a business that I love that. I need one of these. <laughs> <laughs> but I need you to continue. You told yeah, people. Yeah, yeah, so it's a bombs. yeah. So, I mean, she was the first franchisee in the city of Compton. She was from Compton. A lot of community support. Just diligent or earlier than most stores in the area. It's open a half an hour later than most stores in the area. She's just diligent. And she came up with this goal of doing a hundred thousand in six months in sales. And we looked up and we're like, girl, you did it in 80 something days. But that shows the capacity of somebody that kind of just like wants to, and that's why franchise is so beautiful. There's other stores that have opened it and are not even close to that number. So really the capacity comes from the owner, the owner, you can be creative and create your own wealth in your own store. So yeah. this is just yeah. what she decided like to do. And she's. I, I like that. Cause it speaks oh, to the power of goal setting. Like, yep. especially with numbers, I'm getting yep. real big on that. Like, if you don't have a number that you're working toward, then you're really not engaged. Mm -hmm. Like, you're not really playing the game the way it should be played. Because if you don't have something that's really trackable, measurable, like, what's the goal, you know? Can't just be like, I want to have a right. profitable like, business. Right. I just want to be profitable. I just want to make money. Well, how much money? And in how much time, mm -hmm. right? And how are you going to get to that goal? So it's really not about talking up here. It's about talking right here. And just kind of making that something that's realistic. And when she first said a hundred thousand in six months, I was like, well, you could do it, but I want to see how. And she had a whole plan. She had a whole marketing plan and she worked her plan and she did it. Hey, that's beautiful. Shout out to her. Yeah. Ashley Brown from the city of Compton. Hey, shout out, <laughs> shout out to you, Ashley. Man, we need the horns. Uh, yeah, I ain't got the horns, <laughs> man. I ain't got the horns. But I do got this one though. Damn, son. Where'd you find that? <laughs> <laughs> So I did have one more question regarding the beauty industry. So I, I did kind of want to know, like with the vendors and, and the accounts, these people, these are usually like out of the country people. Is these like international relations that you have in the bill or, or this is more so just like you're talking to people stateside with these accounts? Yeah, they're all domestic. Atlanta is a big city. Chicago. A lot of hair vendors are here in Los Angeles. There's some in New Jersey. There's some in New York. And most of them really do business on their cell phones. It's not anything super creative. There's no like web structure. They just are big businessmen with warehouses with lots of money to buy That's lots of product. Good. And you just order what you want on your phone. It's mm. that simple. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, this is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Ludicrous. 
Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. And I'm glad you said web-based business, like, because I wanted to get into the effects of COVID earlier this year. Did you guys see like a downturn during that? And did y'all kind of like switch to more online selling? Yeah, so we had to pivot immediately when COVID hit because a lot of the cities where our stores are in, they didn't deem us essential at first. And we had to fight Mm -hmm. the cities to say we are an essential business because it's grooming. So I would say within 48 hours of the shutdowns happening here in Los Angeles, we shifted to a delivery and a curbside delivery model until we were able to get our basically our explanation back from the city that we could reopen. So we thrived in the pandemic because a lot of other beauty supplies that are considered our competition were closed Mm -hmm. because they weren't fighting the city like I was. I'm like, hold on, we have a whole operation and I got 20 girls that rely on a paycheck every Friday. We cannot shut down. So we just were creative. We did follow the rules. We did social distance and we did curbside and delivery and all those fun things I talked about. But it was really getting the mayors to convince them that beauty supplies are essential for Black people. I like that. That's very smart. And y'all really reacted in a very effective way. So that was very, very smart on y'all part. Thank you. And now I kind of want to move forward because out of necessity, that's how your franchise model was started. How do, how do you manage all of these things, being a mom and being a wife? Like, because I don't know, well, not that we were recording this, but you're in your daughter's room right now doing this podcast. Yeah. So like, people, sometimes they'll see a lot of success. Oh, she's doing all of this. She must not have a life. So how do you manage that? How do you keep that work-life balance? Yeah, I think, I think it's not cute. I don't think it's glamorous all the time, right? It's like sometimes there's bad days. There's days where my kids feel like I'm not giving them enough. And there's times where my business feels like I'm not giving it enough, my employees, my leadership team. But what I've just learned is just to have grace with myself and really just do the best that I can every day and really just take care of the things that I have to take care of and everything else kind of figures itself out. So I would be lying if I sit here and say, oh, I've learned how to balance and everything is good. And no, there's days that I don't make as much money as I would want to because I scale back and I'm here with family. And then there's days where I'm like during the pandemic, I don't think my kids saw me for about a week straight because we were getting operations together Mm -hmm. in place in the stores. So I was missing when my kids were going to bed, I was coming home two or three hours after they were sleeping. So it's just a, it's a commitment to just be my best self mm-hmm. and just to make it work. It's not cute though all the time. <laughs> really I, I love the transparency in it though, because like everybody wants to, you know, see that glamorous lifestyle, all that, that picture perfect stuff. But in all reality, that's what entrepreneurship is. And that's what it's going to continue to be. It's never like this one point where it's not going to be a balance. Like, and how do you convey to and get through to your kids and let them know, hey, like, I'm not doing this just to push you guys off to the side. Like, this is really just supplying our lifestyle. And this is for us moving forward. How do you break that down to them? Yeah, I'm always talking to my oldest. Well, my youngest ones, they I wouldn't say I don't think they're old enough to understand. They're like four and five. So they just know mommy's yeah. gone. Mommy's at work. You. Right. But my 16 year old who really, you know, might not need me physically, but needs me more emotionally, especially with mm-hmm. the pandemic going on and her shift with having to do school online. It's just a reminder to always include her where I can. 
Like yesterday I had to go run errands, but I'm like, you know what, come with me. You know, you don't, you get out of school early. So just always encouraging her to, you know, talk to me, even if I might work, text me. So just reassuring them that this is a sacrifice that I'm making for our family. And I do want to get to the point where I'm more hands off with my business, but right now it's still a new business and we're growing it. But I think that they see the labor and I think they respect it. So that's Mm -hmm. what is for me. It makes me feel okay to work so hard because I know that my family, my husband, my kids, they respect what I'm doing. If they didn't believe in it, then it wouldn't work. But they Mm -hmm. believe what I'm doing. And I think that kind of plays back to what you were saying in the beginning with your family and the way you were growing up too. So are you kind of still instilling some of those same values, not to more so like just being crazy pushy, but showing them like, this is what's possible. These are the things that you can do. That's exactly what it is. It's modeling it, right? Like I could tell my daughter all day, don't do, don't do, don't do. But the truth is she's going to do exactly what she sees me do. Mm -hmm. For me, I'm just trying to be an example and model to her. Like, you know what you can you know, you can go to school, you can have a career, you can have your own business, you can do whatever you want to do, because she sees me doing it. And I saw my mom doing it. And she saw her father doing it. So it really is generational, that ability to kind of think outside of the box, and it's modeling it. And that's what my kids see, because I saw it. I love it. And that's very powerful. Yeah, a lot of those limiting beliefs that usually surrounds, I think that's one of the big things we we try to like, break with this podcast. So like, so many of us, we grow up in environments and in communities that like that type of thinking is so discouraged that mm-hmm. like these conversations are necessary because people need to realize that like, you know, we associate black with lack and poverty and all these other things. But I experience is so much more than that. Like your experience in your family, you just said this has been going on for generations. Your people always thought like that. Right. Like other people need to understand that mm-hmm. you don't have to think. Like, okay, even if your back's against the wall, it's all about a mindset. Like, mm-hmm. as long as you continue to believe that, hey, one day this is going to change, as long as I keep on putting in the work in. I'm doing like, this for yeah. something. Like, it's a reason behind this. Yeah, I agree with that 100% about the mindset. Because in those days that I wake up and I think I can't, I can't, right? Mm-hmm. In those days that I wake up and I know that I can, and I don't even question that I can, I do. Mm-hmm. So for me, Part of what I do is important for me and my family, but it's also important for the young ladies that work for me because sometimes they don't have that example. And so they look at me as that example. Not all of them. A lot of them come from good families, but there's some of them that, um, you know, maybe they grew up in foster care. They grew up in a structured system where they really didn't see anybody thrive. They just saw people kind of survive in life. So when they look at me, some of the girls call me mom or Auntie Leah because that's what it is. And I take that very seriously. I take that so seriously. So it really is about showing people, modeling, and showing people that it really is a mindset. It really mm-hmm. is. I, like that. Um, Leah, I did have another question about the, the girl cave that I forgot to ask you. Uh, Tell it's me. Also beauty industry. Uh-huh. So it was more so like with the beauty industry, you know, a lot of our people, we like to try to get into that industry. and you, But you've been able to build a successful business in that industry. What were some of the ways that you like differentiated yourself in the beginning from like other beauty brands? Right. So for me, it was finding out as a consumer, what things that I wasn't getting when I went into other stores. Mm. Right. So I felt like I wasn't getting customer service. I felt like I wasn't getting variety. And then when I started my business, I created all of the things that I wasn't getting as a consumer. And that's really what sets us apart. We just do the things that other stores don't. I remember 
you know, having a, you know, a black girl, we got our braiding appointment at eight o'clock in the morning. Well, the beauty supplies don't open till nine. So I was late to appointments. I had to cancel appointments. So now as an owner of a retail store, I'm like, well, we're going to open up early because girls have early appointments mm-hmm. that people know in our neighborhood. We're the store that's open at eight 30. That's unheard of. Beauty supplies don't open till nine, nine 30, 10 o'clock, sometimes even 11. So doing those things that I noticed other stores weren't doing sets us apart the customer service the availability of hours and products they're just things that people have not competed with us with and that's what we do differently i love it mm-hmm. um be what you want to see right <laughs> like if you don't see it be it nah yeah for real though you got to be the change that you want to see yep so yes. with that i think i asked all our questions with that with the beauty and yeah yeah the girl cave all day it's so much more that you do like it's so much more like you got real estate you got this medical consulting firm and I kind of just want to know like what was the start of your real estate journey yes so I well I saw my grandfather be a developer but with the girl cave I realized that retail is so up and down it's like one day I'll have a great day and then I'll have a day where I lose money sometimes right Mm -hmm. and so I said well what can I put my money into that's going to be sustainable because retail is so fickle. So I just started saving my money. Everything that I made from the girl cave, I put it aside and I brought a small, I didn't do it in Los Angeles because the real estate here is <laughs> smart. Um, but I went out to a small city in Bakersfield, Taft area, and I just brought, you know, like a little flip. I thought I was gonna flip it. I ended up loving the work that I did in the house. So I kept it, I kept a renter. I did that again in the city of Bakersfield. And then I looked up and because I moved out of LA because it's so overpopulated and kind of went outside of um, the city, I was like, oh, okay, this is something that I could figure out how to do with my earnings from the Girl Cave. And that's just what I did. And since I started managing the properties of my own, I said, well, I know how to manage property. So I started reaching out to other property owners and asking them if they wanted me to manage their properties. And I started doing it for my grandfather. I started doing it for my sisters. I started doing it for myself, and then it just kind of grew into a property management company. Hey, I love it. Come on, man. I love it. <laughs> Did you just peep that she said the whole family owned properties? I like that shit. Yeah, that's a black. That's, hey, y'all are Renaissance family. It's you so said much, you, like so much to dissect it, man. Like she was just trying to like just slide it all in. There. Like, come on, man. I love it though. I love it. So, are you glad that you decided to do the buy and hold versus the flip for that first property? Absolutely. So in the moment, I'm like, okay, this is a cheap property. Somebody had passed away in the property and it became condemned. And I was like, okay, we're just going to flip this and get rid of it. Right. Mm -hmm. But I was so proud of my work. I'm like, this is nice. I don't want to sell this. And while I was building out the house, I got a lot of people asking, well, are you going to rent it? Are you going to sell it? And one of the young ladies that um, left her number while we were doing construction ended up being a great tenant. She's been there the whole time. She's been there for four years since I first brought that property as a tenant. And yeah, I actually don't buy and flip because I think here in LA is so, everybody does it. And it's just so, Mm -hmm. the margins are so small and there's so many mistakes to be made. And I try to go, my grandfather used to tell me this. He said, go find a property in a place that nobody wants and make it desirable. And so that's what we've been Mm -hmm. doing. Going out to places outside of Los Angeles, Bakersfield is two hours away, but people still need to live. People still need a place to live. So instead of buying something for a million dollars down the street here in L.A., why not go to Taft and buy something for fifty thousand dollars and make it work there? And it's worth it. And I mean, you mm-hmm. still the rent in Taft will be what, like 
you still gonna get greater returns on that investment than going stick yourself in LA. So that's yeah, that's beautiful. Exactly. Yeah. So that's what we've learned. Just you know, you can't do what everybody else is doing. Everybody here in LA is a real estate investor, a flipper, a, a real estate, whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. And the market is just oversaturated here, and people that don't have probably millions and millions and millions of dollars can't be creative here because there's just no room for that. So my sister, who's an attorney, we decided we were going to like go out mm-hmm. and just kind of get out of LA and not feel the pressure of having to keep up with these big investors and real estate conglomerates. It's impossible. Well, no, it's impossible. It's impossible now. It will be soon. <laughs> I love that. Keep that. Yeah. That thinking my, uh, in the mind. So, I do have another question, Leah. With y'all property, I know you, so y'all decided to rent it out and you decided to be your own property manager because you had the experience from with your grandfather or like you right. just, yeah, so you knew that. So what was it like starting up that company? Like, was it just all based on previous experience or like, did you have to go through some bump in your head for that one too? Right. So I'm really fortunate because I have two sisters And so they are just as ambitious as I am. And so we really work together when we're working on projects. So when I kind of had the instinct that I wanted to do the real estate, my sister was like, well, let me, let me set it up for you. Thank God she's an attorney. So she saw my passion and she kind of got, you know, piggyback with me. So I can't take credit for it by myself. Mm -hmm. I have two sisters that we kind of push each other. And we see each other's visions and we all kind of hop on whatever one person is doing at one time. We all hop on together to help that person get them through the door. And then it's like, okay, well, it's my turn. I want to do a beauty supply now. So everybody help me. And then my sister is like, well, I want to do a real estate company now. So everybody hop on board and help me. So we really work together. And it's exciting because we all have different passions, but we help each other. But that's that's beautiful. And like, that's the point of family. A lot of people, oh, you can't work with family. You can't do this. But no, why not? Why wouldn't you want to build with your family? Like, I don't care. Even yeah, if it it's goes hard south, working like, with family, though, I will say my sisters and I probably every other weekend we ain't speaking. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm pretty sure even still, though, like since she's an attorney, even if something goes south, like bad blood or whatever, mm-hmm. y'all still are going to be able to work it out through an agreement. And y'all still coming out ahead as versus not doing it together at all. If you were to go do it with a complete stranger, you'd probably come out worse than you would with your family. Yeah. And so what we always tell each other is, is, you know, always, if you're mad at me, that's fine. But what's the goal? Get back on the, like, get back in the game. You can be mad. You don't like the way I talk to you, but we're trying to finish this project. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we take a break and then we come back to it. So it always works out, but it, it is hard. I'm not going to lie. It's hard working with family, especially three girls. We butt heads a lot. <laughs> okay. I'm glad you say that. So, how do y'all keep it business versus personal? We don't. That's the problem. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just think that um, we try to oh, see, look, let's talk about balance, Mike. So what we just try to do is when we're upset with each other is just to give each other like space and a break and then come back to it with a clear head. Mm-hmm. So you're right. You do get further with your family because you guys should and usually have the same interests. Right. And so I know with my sisters, our end goal is the same. How we get there might and how we think we should get there might be different, but our goal is the same. So we just learn to step away. She's not talking to me this weekend. That's fine. I'm gonna call her on Monday and we're going to get this done. Hey, hey, I like that though. Like It's a system at the very least. Look, we get bad. We get over it. We get back to work. 
It's like a marriage. It's like you could be mad at me, but you ain't leaving. <laughs> I wish I had something to say. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Oh, That's hilarious. Um, let's see. Do we have any more points we was trying to get into? I know I mentioned the medical consulting firm. Is that more so like you helping your husband? Because I yeah. know your husband is a doctor. Yes, yeah, so I have to so, push him because he, you know, my sisters and I came from a family of business owners and my husband worked for USC for 20 years. I'm like, man, they dog y'all over there. No shade to USC. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> they, they dog people over there. You know, it's not as lucrative as you think. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of times that he had to work through holidays. There were a lot of times that he couldn't go on family vacations. There was a lot of times that he asked for leverage or promotion within his department. He didn't get it. I say, you created this big structure here at USC for other people. Why don't you do it for yourself? So my sister, again, and I kind of talked him towards stepping away from USC. And so now we as a family help him run a consulting company. He's the doctor. He's the physician that sees the patients. But we help with that back end. And like as far as the infrastructure and the marketing and the expansions, all of the new contracts, like you know, my sister looks over them to make sure they're good. So it's really, like I said, it's a family business, but we co-own the medical company with them. Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah, or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's it is, right? Yeah, like, I'm in the business. Uh, yeah, like, that's the thing. Man. Even we're here. We get mad. You ain't going nowhere because my name is. <laughs> it, it's like you said too. with that. I just that's another powerful example for anybody. I'm pretty sure with that consulting firm. He got more time and he made more money than he did whenever he was messing around with USC, doing the exact same thing that then people was not paying him enough for. You just said it. And it, the thing is, you're going to be stressed out at a job, but if you're going to be stressed out, if you're going to be overworked, right, you might as well do it for yourself. You might as well decide when you're going to be stressed out. At least for me, when I'm with my business and I need a break, I just turn off my phone. You have a job. You can't just turn off. You can't just walk out. <laughs> you can just, you know what I mean? So there's a different, it's still a lot of work, but there's a flexibility that I have. When I want to step away, when I want to be with my family, I create that space. And if I had mm-hmm. a job, I don't, you don't get to create that space for yourself. You can pay, take all the holidays too. And ain't no family vacation. Ain't no questions about going on vacation. I just get to go. Yeah. Right. And I might have to work through my vacation, but at least I'm able to be be with my family, right? And not have somebody else tell me, oh, no, you can't. And so he went through that. I mean, he was great. He was there for 20 years. He he loved it until he realized, like, you know what? I am investing a lot into building a structure for somebody else and not really getting back what Mm -hmm. I would want out of it. 
So it was a natural progression, but he needed to be there for the 20 years that he was there. I like that though. No you such know, thing as yeah. a wasted experience. Yeah, you no, gotta it's take not. It teaches you. Yeah. Yeah. So Everything that he learned there, he's using right now in his business. So it's worth it. And sometimes people don't understand that too. Whatever job like you're working, you should take whatever you're doing. You can transfer those skills into anything. It don't matter if you work in fast food, retail, like there's some basic unit that you can take and transfer over. Like if you're in fast food retail, you're in customer service. You are there to serve people. Like Mm -hmm. if you're doing whatever, if you're a service-based business, you can transfer that over. Like if I'm coming from fast food, I know what people want. Mm -hmm. If I want to go open up a restaurant, I can take the same thing, like you said, and I can say, okay, this is what was going on really bad that I saw a lot of customers complain about. This is how I can maximize and make myself different. So like any job that you're working, I'm just speaking to the followers on this, like just learn and just take whatever you're trying to do. And if you want out that situation, just really figure out what have you been learning over these years and how you can use that to be successful. Yeah. And I tell my girls all the time that work for me, if you're not a good employee, you're not going to be a good business owner. Because mm. you know, a good business owner. <laughs> it's true. If you as an employee don't know that you have to be on time, you're not going to start doing it now because you own your business. Like you have to you, mm. this is like discipline. So some of my best employees I know would be great business owners. And the ones that feel like, oh, I don't want to do this. Like, you know, I just want to own my own business. But if you don't train your mind, if you don't have the discipline as an employee, you'll never be a good business owner. Give it to it. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I love this, though. This guy here. I, hey, no, I love that. Nah, that's real. Like, that's yeah, so for, real. Who you are in your nine to five is exactly who you're going to be in your business. And I actually think yeah. we, we had spoke about that on like a live recently, because like you said, you showing up to work late. Are you just dragging your feet? You don't have enough. You don't give it high energy or whatever. Like, how is that going to transfer to what you're doing? Because nine times out of 10, the way that you act at your job or the way you act at home is how you're going to carry yourself. It's not about what's going on around you. It's about what's going on within Mm. you. So sometimes there's something going on within you that you need to fix before you can go ahead and start being successful. That's a word. I'll be preaching on this Saturday. For real, how you show up at work is how you show up in life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, your business becomes what you do. And it's a it's an arm of who you are. So if you come to work late, like you said, you come to work not dressed in uniform. That's how you're going to show up in your business. So mm-hmm. I know I had to teach myself that. I'm like, girl, you're talking about you want to have your own business. You can't even show up to this job on time. What you talking about? Like, you got to get it together. Mm-hmm. You really do. You have to prove it to yourself and be disciplined. I like that. I love it. So, Leah, I do have one more question before we get to the last segment of the show. And it's just asking with Married to Medicine. So, like, how did you find your way on the TV? Like, like what, you went from doing all these different business things. And then you just like, you know, I'll be on the TV show. Like, how did that happen? Know, right? So, it really did kind of just happen. So, one of the stars of the show, Dr. Imani, and my husband worked together. And they did season one. And when it was time for season two to come around they were going to add another wife to the show. And so I had come up in a conversation and I was like, I don't think they're going to pick me. Like, I'm not, I'm a little hood. Like, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a little hood. I'm a little hood. Like, I'm not like the other women. Like, the other women on the TV show are a little bit more polished than me. I'll put it that way. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm from Inglewood. Like, I kind of just say whatever comes to my mouth and I'm not extremely, like, cultured. So I went out for the casting and they loved me and I got put on the show. And it really was like a fluke. I didn't think it was going to go anywhere. 
I'm like, they're going to see this girl from Inglewood who talks too much and talks too loud. And they're going to be like, nah, you can't do it. But I got, they selected me. But it was Amani, Dr. Amani, who's on the show, kind of connected me. Hey, that's dope. I got to go check this show out. Yeah, my mom yeah you got to watch it. Well, the, see, well you, could, you got on demand or something like that. You could catch up on the old episodes. But yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. It gets good around like episode two or three. So watch episode like two or three. Okay, I'm going to go check it out. <laughs> For sure. I have to check it out too. I'm gonna tell my mom we interviewed you too. She gotta know about this one. Make it might make her a little jealous. Be like, oh, you got the yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So Leah, uh, we want to go ahead and pivot to the last segment of the show. So we want to ask you, what's something that you've seen on your timeline that you want to speak on? It could be anything. Y'all already know what's on my timeline. Talk about it. Y'all don't know. I know what's on I your know timeline. Madam BP, our Madam BP. Yes. Talk about it. Black woman. Adam VP on my timeline, Kamala Harris. It's just like, for me, it's a big deal as a black woman, because when you think about the history of this country, like black women were the last group of people in this country to have the right to vote. Like the last group of people. And so to see a black woman and you could talk about her record, right? I'm not like, I'm not not like the crime bill and all that. Yeah, I'm not discussing her record. I'm just talking about who she is as a person, like what she represents for Black people is a big deal because in this country, Black people have not been accepted. And so for a Black woman to be elected by the people, to be in the White House as a VP, to me, that's a big deal. I think Mm -hmm. we should hold our candidates accountable, but I'm just excited to see it. Mm -hmm. Come on. I'm I'm excited. I'm happy that Mm -hmm. I ain't got to hear about Donald Trump Every day, no more. I'm sick of that shit. <laughs> I'm tired I of it. it. <laughs> I'm ready for that man to be quiet, dog. He gotta go. Oh, I don't think he gonna be quiet. I just want you to know that. Like, I just wanted to stop paying so much attention to him, bro. Yeah, man. But yeah, shout out to Kamala Harris, man. I'm, yeah. I'm proud of her. Happy for this. Hopefully, we see some actual changes come out of this stuff, man. I some know, forward progression. Yeah, I know, like a lot of people. A lot of the things they were talking about, they was running on like uh, like taxation and uh, a green like deal, clean energy, all that stuff like that. Hopefully we see some progress toward that type of stuff, you know. Yeah. Right. I don't think so. Earth. I mean, what I can say, you know, everybody talks a good talk while they're running. But what I right. can say is that I'm just happy that hate is not going to be promoted. Mm. So whatever you think about her policy, as long as we don't have somebody that is the leader of the free world spewing hate every day, like that's enough for me. <laughs> like whatever else she does after that, I'm good. Amen. You are so right, right about this. <laughs> I'm just tired of the hate. Like it's so much, people have so much hate in their hearts and it's because he's promoting it and I'm just done with it. Like I can't take it as toxic. Yeah, we got a toxic president. <laughs> yeah, 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 like that's for real. Though. American like, we, a badass we relationship a right now. It is. I'm telling you, we just needed like four years single. Like, <laughs> just get away. Like, give us okay. some time to find ourselves. <laughs> Even just a year. Like, just let me get my mind break, right. Huh? Let me go to that's therapy. Real. You know, it's like the worst relationship of all time. Like, I'm, I'm exhausted. Like, for real. Like, we got to go back to the gym because look. <laughs> <laughs> America put on some relationship yeah. weight. Oh, yeah, man. We didn't been abused mentally, physically. <laughs> Not relationship weight. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. Oh, man. Leah, 
I want to say thank you so much for coming on the podcast with us. This has been a great episode. It's been so fun having you on. <laughs> Learned a lot. Yeah, like definitely, definitely thank you for the insight into this beauty industry. We hope that some of our listeners out there were able to gain some insight. Hopefully somebody hits you up and trying to get that franchise started. Yes, we're opening and we open it in Anaheim, Orange County here in Los Angeles in the next few weeks. We have another franchisee that just signed on in Houston. So I'll be back in Texas soon. Hey, turn up. Early next year, we're going to do Atlanta. So we're ready. I'm trying to find a franchisee in the Bay Area, New York. Let's go, ladies. Let's do it. Y'all hit her up. Y'all get with my girl. Yeah. So um, if, yeah, if the people want to get with you, what like where can they find you? How can they tap in with Girl Cave? How can they reach out if they want to be a franchisee? Yeah, so we're uh Instagram junkies at the Girl Cave LA. So you can follow us at Girl Cave LA Beauty. And then my personal page is Leah L I A B Dias on Instagram. So in our website, girlcavela.com. So just Google us and you'll find the website. Y'all do That's that. It. Yeah. Y'all tap in. Once again, I want to say thank you, but before we wrap up, we're going to get into some house cleaning. I want to say thank you to all of our listeners week in, week out. Thank you for constantly growing with us. We are constantly hitting these new 10K weeks. We just want to keep on growing. We got a goal. We want to keep on pushing, keep on hitting. Yeah, we, we trying we to try, get to the million Yeah, you trying to get soon. to like, look, we I need think- 50K a month. So look, we was just talking about goals. That's what I want. I want 50,000 listeners a month by mid next year so look family y'all let us know what shit, we gotta do to get that by the end of the year man y'all better share this <laughs> okay, podcast then. man this be an early christmas present yeah that's what I'm <laughs> yeah i'm trying i'm trying to be like my girl set the goal for six months get it in three yeah that's right i love it but yeah y'all definitely definitely thank y'all for tapping in with us week in week out y'all definitely be on the lookout for credit fundamentals yes, sir. purchase our book manage your money like the one percent anything you want to learn about just changing your mindset how you can start saving, repaying debt, really just managing your money like the upper one percentile of the country. Not really just spending your money frivolously, really just understanding what's going on with your financial life. Y'all tap in, get that book. You can order it on Amazon or you can get it ebook formation. You can also get it from Kindle. So y'all tap in with that. Links in the show notes. Yeah. Hey, look, buy our new shirts. If you are all about breaking generational curses, and building generational wealth, you tap in with us. You rock that. You let everybody know, hey, this is what I'm doing. I'm doing this for me and my family. Put it on Y'all your go chest. cop that. These shirts are only $14.97. You're on the lookout for a sale. You yeah, might we be able to get them for $9.99 soon. So y'all definitely, definitely tap in. I want one of those shirts. <laughs> hey, uh, y'all. I'm telling you, it's already done. So with that said, y'all, this is Black Wolf Renaissance signing out. Peace. I got money on my mind. I'm just trying to get some dough. I ain't picking up my lot unless it's money on the phone. Gotta get it on the daily. All I want is dubs. You know what I'm on. I've been chasing after paper. All I know is run money marathon. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.